Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. And in this episode, we are judging Droplagarsana Saga, the saga hey. of the sons of Droplag. And it's been a little while getting here. We've been working our way through yeah. this one a little slow. Uh-huh. This is our third episode on Droplagarsana Saga. And uh, the end of our third consecutive saga telling a loosely connected series of stories set in the far-off northeast of Iceland. That's right. We uh, began with Thorstein the White, the mini-saga about a feud between Thorstein the Fair and the family of Thorstein the White. And oh, then yes. we moved into Vapenfeldinga saga, and the mm-hmm. story of Thorstein's grandson, Brod Helgi, and Helgi's son, Bjarni Brod Helgason. And they had a feud with uh, the father and son team of Geitir Lutingson and his son, Thorkel Geitason. I know you guys like names. rattling Here off those go. names. Yeah. Uh, and now we've been covering the Droplagersons, who are the cousins of Thorkel Gedison. Almost like we had a plan. Almost. Let's not go overboard. Or um, like we're just so, going in order in the book that we're, right. we're working our way through. <laughs> Close to it. Although the book sets up the order nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first episode on this saga focused on the upstart Helgi Droplagerson and his hobby of annoying the local chieftain Helgi Asbjarnason by taking up and winning legal cases against him. It's more than a hobby, though. The, the man was an artist at being annoying. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so we ended that first episode with Helgi and his brother Grimdrop Lagerson helping their cousin Ronvig to divorce her husband, Thorgrim Skincap. Well, and she threw his clothes into a cesspit, which is pretty she, cool. She did. She did do that. Yeah. Yes. But Skincap had his revenge by running and telling Helgi Asbjarnason that the brothers were on the road and vulnerable to attack. Uh, yes, and so the second part of the saga opened with Helgi Asbjarnason leading an attack on the Droplagersons. Helgi Droplagersson and nine other men were killed in the fight, and both Grim Droplagersson and Helgi Asbjarnason were badly wounded. Mm. Everyone actually thought that Grim had died as well, but his clever Aunt Groa hides him while he recovers from his injuries. She was a crafty one, wasn't she? Yes, she was, and the rest of the story dealt with Grim assassinating Helgi Asbjarnason several years later, and then turning to a life of outlawry. Mm-hmm. And eventually, he and his family left Iceland, and Grimm later died after a duel with a Norwegian Viking. So ultimately, this was a tightly structured feud saga, I think. Uh, and we're both pretty happy with it, right? Yeah, you're just trying to bait me into giving this thing a final rating straight off. I always do We that. will get to that. First, there are some other categories to judge. Well then, let's not shilly-shally. Let's get started. I'm ready. I've been ready. And yet we're still talking. Best Bloodshed. Now, I have to admit, John, I was a little concerned about what we do for Best Bloodshed when I first started reading this saga. Yeah, me too. Uh, We had some deaths and killings in the first part, but nothing spectacular. No. A spear through a dung beetle here, an axe blow for an unwanted stepfather there. Yeah. But by the end of that first summary episode, I don't think we had a single great candidate for Best Bloodshed. No. No, I mean, we might have considered uh, Droplog 2 falling through the ice with her two slaves, maybe, I guess. Yeah, I suppose we could have. It's just a horrible accident, though. Yeah, and and helpful in a saga with a relatively low body count, I might add. Sure, but it doesn't exactly meet the criteria for Best Bloodshed. Criteria? We have criteria now. When did this happen? Well... We've always had criteria. We're looking for the best examples of bloodshed. Oh, it's in the title. <laughs> uh, spectacular moments. Yeah. Not much spectacular, not much bloody involved in drop log falling through the ice. Yeah. Uh, although I'd consider a good drowning or maybe another bloodless injury and, and other deaths oh, sure. for this category, if the author makes yeah. it worth my while. But mm-hmm. in this case, our buddy Thorvald Ingelson just doesn't really hit his stride as a storyteller until the Battle of the Two Helgis. 
Well, I mean, that's only true if we're mainly concerned with blood, guts, and body count. Once he gets past that heap of names at the start of the saga, I think things are moving along at a nice clip. Mm -hmm. But from a violence perspective, you're absolutely right. It's only when we finally get to the climax of the Helgi versus Helgi conflict that things start popping. Mm. You know, honestly, the whole battle makes for one great best bloodshed candidate. Can we just give it to that? Ah, it's good stuff. And as much as I want to agree, I think it's going to be more fun to break this down into its gruesome parts so that we can give the award to the man who deserves it most. Gruesome's right. I mean, one of the things that really sets this scene apart from the other battles we've seen in the sagas is the incredible specificity of the descriptions. Right. You mentioned in the last summary episode that those vivid descriptions remind you of no less a text than Homer's Iliad. They do. Are you going to stick by that? I'm going to stick by that. And I was mm-hmm. looking around, uh, and I'm not the only one to notice this. I stumbled uh-huh. upon none other than Frederick York Powell. Oh. And he was discussing this very same thing. I was looking at the translation that he has uh, that he did with uh, Guthrum Vigfusson, and uh, he highlights this battle in particular for, as he says, its Homeric power. Aha. Helgi's last stand is told, as he puts it, in a direct epic fashion that recalls... I should probably put on a haughty British accent. I'm assuming that's what... An old 19th century British scholar. (laughs) I'd probably offend my uh, brother-in-law just now. (laughs) But he says that the story is told in a direct epic fashion that recalls the Mm. finest parts of the Iliad battles. Um, he does lament that there must be more to the saga that's missing, and I, I want to agree. I wish there was more. He thinks there's more out there, right? Yeah, oh, he does, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously, this saga is a compilation of episodes. I think that's fairly clear yeah. from, from the way that the narrative shifts around. Um, mm-hmm. But it leaves a whole lot of plot holes that must have been dealt with elsewhere, he assumes. Right, remember we saw we talked about another scholar who thinks that there, there was an earlier, simpler, but longer version of this yes. saga. Yeah, exactly. And he's looking for a more specific cause to the enmity between the two Helgis. It's not quite enough what we've got here for him. Um, he also wants mm-hmm. more detail on the story of Grimm and Earl Osbjorn, uh, which is hinted at in the Lanama book. And then finally, some more stuff about Hrofenkelgovi. Well, he just wants more of everything. I mean, yes, what, is, what is there to suggest that Hrofenkel should have a bigger part than he does? Uh, in my opinion, nothing, really. I, I think Powell's just looking for more from the story and assumes, like mm. many scholars of his age, that an absence of what you're looking for reveals more than just an absence. <laughs> That just sounds like wish fulfillment to me, not good scholarship. <laughs> it is. It's not good scholarship by today's standards. But uh, but I, I think we're supposed to be showing our appreciation for Thorvald Ingildson's accomplishments in describing bloodshed here, aren't we? Well, let's stop revving our motor and let's get going. <laughs> All right. Uh, why don't you go first? What's your first candidate? Uh, okay. Uh, well, I'm going to skip the preliminaries and, in fact, all of episode one and go directly to this saga's Sam Peckinpah moment. Uh, when Helgi Esbjarnason's ambush of the Droplagersons becomes a Grand Guignol of epic proportions. Oh, a Grand Guignol, of course. Yes, quite grand, in fact. <laughs> uh, and Esbjarnason himself is the I first I wouldn't even victim. know how to spell that, John. Uh, G-R-A-N-D- I know grand. G-U-I-G-N-O-L. <laughs> you sure there's not an E on that, on that Grand? No, I am. It's a, it's, it's a, uh, it was a Parisian theater uh, that was famous for its realistic violence. Ah. Uh, that's where it comes from. How apropos, if uh, I may. There you go. Uh, <laughs> that's I, that's all the Poe I was going for. Uh, so in this battle, uh, both Drepologerson brothers begin by hurling spears at their enemy Asbjarnason simultaneously. That's right. Helgi lets Grimm choose whether to throw high or low, and, and Grimm chooses to make the higher throw. Right. And the saga continues, and Grimm's spear pierced through the shield, and Asbjarnason was not wounded by that. 
but Helge Droplagerson aimed at his kneecap, and the spear glanced from there down into the leg, as Bjarnason's leg split right down through the instep, so that he was disabled at once. Mm. You know, that that's awful right off the bat. I mean, this is the first yeah. blow of the of the battle. And as we learn later, Helgi's bedridden for an entire winter trying to heal his leg. And I would imagine yeah, true. more yeah. if you really thought about it. Well, I mean, when you think about it, we never actually see him travel far from home again. Right. So it looks like his injury might have permanent consequences. Mm-hmm. He may not really be capable of traveling. But it also sets up the chaotic nature of this fight. Helgi, as Bjarnason, is the leader of the attacking force. And a lucky spear throw rips his leg open and puts him out of the fight before it even begins. It's a good one. And yeah. it, sh- it speaks to the vicissitudes of battle. Just the, the random chance once the blades start flying. Mm. Yeah, I love how he follows the line of the weapon through throughout this whole battle. Mm. It's not so simple as the spear caught him in the leg. A lot happens when a spear strikes home. Yeah. I say good job, Thorvald, assuming you wrote this. <laughs> right. Uh, So what's your first candidate? Well, I'd like to start with one of the more surprising and cringe-inducing bits of violence that I've seen Mm. since Killer Skuta left a naked grim to be devoured by flies on an island in Mivaten Lake. Oh, that was a rough one. I forgot about that one. Yeah, well, this one's a rough one, too. Just in a different and ultimately ultimately less harmful way, if I may. Mm. (laughs) Of course, I'm talking about poor Thord Cormorant. Poor, poor Thord Cormorant. I don't think we heard of Thord before this battle, but he's introduced no, as a spy of Helgius Bjarnason. And mm-hmm. when the battle begins, Thord somehow falls into the river. I'm not sure how that happened. Well, I think it was presented as a deliberate act, but if he was smart, given what happens next, he would have just floated on down that river and away from his fate. Ah, uh, but he didn't. He rushed toward his fate. Mm-hmm. And instead, something far more amusing and grim happens. Mm-hmm. Thord rejoins the battle with frozen clothes. He climbs a snowdrift and then rushes at Helgi Droplagerson, but Helgi sees him coming, and we're told Helgi threw the spear between his legs and right through his scrotum. Mm-hmm. And Thord fell backwards then, and the spear stuck fast in the snowdrift. And Thord hung there on the snowdrift all day. Uh, I still can't decide which part hurts me more. The initial <laughs> piercing of the scrotum or the phrase, he hung there all day. <laughs> You know that that scream that we have at the beginning of the best bloodshed section? Right. It's actually Thor Cormorant. <laughs> there you go. It's the uh, the Wilhelm scream of the sagas. Yes, right. <laughs> now, I, I think the initial piercing would be quite shocking, but relatively painless in the moment. Mm-hmm. It's afterwards when you're you're hanging there by your pierced scrotum that the, the horror really sinks in. Right. Either way, I can't imagine a worse way to watch the rest of this battle. Right. And... You have to think, I mean, when you read it just now, it occurred to me that it, they really do make it sound as if Helgi deliberately aims. Oh, yeah. Right? He threw yeah, I, the spear between his legs. Like, it's not, it's not, this is not random chance that he gets hit there. Right. To prepare for tonight, I actually looked at the Icelandic. <sighs> and it, mm-hmm. so I, I offered more of my own translation than the uh, right. the, the translation that's in the, right. in the text. And yeah, he he's definitely looking to sh- throw it right mm-hmm. between the legs. Oof. Scary. Now, my question is, why does Thor end up there all day? Why doesn't anybody help the poor guy? Well, they're busy defending their lives and stuff. But uh, uh-huh. also, maybe he tried to call for help, but his voice was suddenly so high that only dogs could hear it. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> what's next, John? Yeah, well, uh, Thor's a tough act to follow, but I'll try. Uh, this is still part of the same battle. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to leave this battle at all for Best Bloodshed, and I don't know why we would. Uh, we'll see. Uh, this time we're looking at Helgi Droplagerson's fight with uh, Hirandi of Ongelsa. Ah, yes. Hirandi, whose name I sometimes stumble over. 
<laughs> he, he's one of two brothers who tried to rush Helgi, but his brother Kari was killed before they reached him. Right. So Helgi and Hirandi exchange blows for a few minutes before Helgi pulls a skillful move and swaps his sword and shield hands in mid-fight. Now, I assume we need to make a, I am not left-handed joke right now, don't we? <laughs> I mean, you can if you want, but in fact, he's switching the sword to his left hand. I am not right-handed. I am not right-handed. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is a move that turns up surprisingly often in the sagas. Uh, the fighter tosses his weapon and shield through the air and then gains a second's advantage by surprising his opponent. Right. Uh, and Helgi puts that moment to good use. He slashes at Hirandi's leg, disabling him. But, we're told, in that moment, Hirandi struck at Helgi, who warded off the blow with his shield. But the sword sprang up into his face and into his row of teeth, cutting off the lower lip. Yeah, that one's brutal. Yeah. So Helgi gets a mouthful of sword and yeah. then loses his lower lip completely. And I assume several teeth yeah. along the way. Yeah, no, it's a nasty injury, but the follow-up is what makes it. Uh, not only does Helgi spit out a great line, which I'm I'm sure we'll get to in witticisms. Yeah, we'll see. But he then stuffs his beard into his mouth to staunch the blood flow. So blood, beard, and teeth. Now that's a great bloodshed moment. It's a great one. Absolutely. All right, so the last one I've got is the death of Helgi Droplogerson. So now imagine he's got his, his beard in his mouth and the blood is flowing. He's got mm-hmm. no lower lip. Um, he was right. attempting oh, to finish off the wounded Helgi A when Ozor stabbed him with a spear. Now, I'm not offering this one because of the blow itself, but for how Helgi handles it. He's got a spear going through him. And the saga mm-hmm. tells us, Helgi walked forward onto the spear and said to Ozor, now you've betrayed me. Oh, well, he does sound awfully good for a guy with no lower lip. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, now you're back to Gumby. Uh, now, now, now you've betrayed me. How would there you do you a B sound with no lower lip? Um, I imagine quite sloppily. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> now you've betrayed me. Betrayed <laughs> me. <laughs> with all That's the blood terrible. and the beard, yeah. That's anyway, terrible. you're interrupting my, uh, my scene. Sorry, carry on. So Ozer saw that Helgi was turning towards him and about to strike. He would reach him with the sword. Then he pushed the spear and everything with it away. Ozer mm. then forces the spear into the ground, knocking Helgi over. Mm. That's a great death for Helgi. Yeah. I mean, even after he's got a spear through him, he keeps coming. Yep. Uh, I mean, what does he have to lose at that point? Well, not much, to be honest. He, he does get mm. a lot of respect, though. I mean, that guy's got moxie. I like him. Moxie. Moxie. Uh, yeah, that's exactly the word I'd use to describe a guy who pushes himself onto a spear to get him at his enemy. Yeah. Hey, did you see Helgi climb the spear before dying? I like the cut of his jib. He's got a great, well, not anymore, really. <laughs> his, his jib's been cut. Right. <laughs> All right. Now, I think you have one more candidate, even uh, if I already know it's not worth considering now that we're at the end oh, of this battle. Oh, now. I, just, I think we ought to include at least one candidate from a different part of the saga. Uh, so I'm going to nominate Grimdrop Lagerson killing Helgi as Bjarnason. All right. Not really very bloody, though, is it? I mean, think about it. Uh, well, I mean, uh-huh. it's not bloody compared to Grim's brother drooling blood and teeth as he dies impaled on a spear. No. But this is a great death all its own. And it's even more enjoyable when you read it as a riff on Gizli Saga. Sure. All right. We'll allow it. Go ahead. Oh, so generous. So kind. So the, the brief version is that Grimm creeps into Helgi's farmhouse, locates Helgi among all the sleeping guests in the building, and then reaches into the bed to be sure he has the right victim. Once he knows he's got Helgi, he says, Stay awake now, Helgi. 
That's enough sleeping. And then Grim thrusts with his brother's swords that it pierces Helgi right through. Yes. Not as spectacular as the others, but a cold-blooded moment of revenge. And good for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that it's also the moment that signals the saga's move from a standard revenge narrative into the tropes of outlaw sagas. Yes. And it does that by evoking Gizli saga, or at least in my reading it does. Yeah, good point. From this, po- from this point on, Grimm's an outlaw, and he employs tricks even just in escaping from the farm. Right? So mm-hmm. he's, he's a trickster now. All right. Uh, so rather than re- rehearse the outlaw stuff, uh, is that your last one? We're done? Uh, it is. Uh, so what do we think? Well, I think we've really got two candidates here. Mm-hmm. We, we've got a scrotal sack being pierced. Yep. And we've got a lip being cut off. Yep. They're both equally fantastic in their own they way. They really are. <laughs> so, I mean. In very different ways. Can we have I mean, the you're... sack and the lip come up together? <laughs> and... <laughs> uh, heads or tails? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, in terms of yeah. what Best Bloodshed at its core is. Mm-hmm. I would I would guess it would be Helgi drop Logerson's mouth getting right. cut. Right. But in terms of fantastic bloodshedy moments, I mean Yeah. How, yeah. how do the you word beat? riding the spear shaft is uh, hard to beat. <laughs> yeah, right. So I mean it seems shameful to let Helgi drop Logerson go. But I boy, I don't know. I mean that's the 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 scrotum piercing is brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh but boy, that image of Helgi shoving his beard into his mouth sort of teeth and drool yeah pouring out as he tries to carry on long enough to finish killing his enemy that's it's a tough one it is it's a tough one it is i mean i guess the, the 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 knock against the first one is it's almost kind of like a for the modern audience anyway certainly not for anyone who's experienced something like this kind of a, a bit of a funny jokey Ha-ha. Right, it's a little bit, more, it's a little bit more slapstick. A little more slapstick, a little childish on our part for even making a big deal out of it. Well, well, for, <laughs> what so is maybe this for? Should, if not for us to behave childishly. Yeah, that's true. But maybe we should be men like Helgi Logerson and give it to a real man. There you go. That's it's right. It's right. Appeal to an unreconstructed idea of manhood. That's a that's, that's uh, the best way to reclaim our maturity. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's uh. I know, I know we're going to get emails about this one, but I, I agree. I think we have to give it to Helgi chewing on his own beard to keep from bleeding out uh, from his mouth wound. I agree. Although I want to give a very strong honorable mention to Thor's right. scrotal sack, right. if I could. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Body, Body count. count. Not much need to linger over this one. John and I came up no. with the same number, although, as usual, I think we could debate a death or a death here or there. Yeah, I mean, I suppose we could argue whether or not to include someone like Asbjorn Scaryblaze, the father of Arnade. Yeah, we only learned about him from Arnade's report about how she ended up a slave in Vaithorm's household, so... Yeah, right. Not great. And then the other questionable death was uh, Andridi. Now, I know exactly who Andridi is. Uh, but I'm willing to bet that some of our listeners might not know. Or care? <laughs> I think that is probably the truest thing we've ever said yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. But uh, Andridi, because I'm going to tell you anyway, is the son okay. of Halstein, the guy who married Droplog and got killed by Helgi and the servant. 
Now, Endridi, right. uh, he traveled abroad at some point and got himself into some trouble in Ireland. And then his brothers, right. who we mostly referred to as the Halsteinsons, the one or two times we mentioned them, they sailed to save him, but that, alas, they arrived too late and he died. Excellent. Yes, that's exactly what happened. Uh, and then those other two brothers were killed by Grimdrop Lagerson at the big battle. Uh, now, I ask you, did you include Andridi in the final body count today? I already know the answer because we came up with the same answer. Well, yes, I did. Um, he may not. I, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I think he may not be a significant part of the saga, but his name pops up more yeah. than once. He's kind yeah. of part of the action. So mm-hmm. I, I'm happy re- to include him, I guess. Happy is a well, strong word. You know, he's sort of a plot point. I mean, he his yeah. trouble in Ireland is why his, he and his brothers aren't around when their father is killed. Exactly. And it's why only later on are they back to seek revenge. Uh, so it's a significant moment, even if he himself is not a significant figure. Exactly. Now, what about Osbjorn's scary blades? Well, I think you know I'm less inclined to include him. But if you feel mm-hmm. like making a case, you go ahead and I'll consider it. And then I'll reject it. Absolutely not. There you go. Um, Osbjorn is only reported. He never appears in the saga. Uh, his death happens before the saga begins. And so, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, Osbjorn is uh, out of luck. All right, then. That makes a total of 21 for our body count. And uh, mm-hmm. as always, we should not forget the poor animals. Uh, two oxen perished in the ice with drop log two. May they rest in peace. <laughs> uh, you and your soft spot for oxen. It's a, it's a hazard <laughs> of the job. They were brave oxen. Well, now, what about our body count density measurement? Our BCDM? That's the one. The math is uh, relatively easy on this one. We've got a body count mm-hmm. of 21 and a Hrovengel measurement of 1.05. Right. So, are you going to tell me that the number is 21? No. No, you're just trying to play like you know math. <laughs> Son of a... Oh, I know math, but I was I wanted to know whether you'd come up with that number. I clearly came up with the number because I'm prepared. <laughs> uh-huh. but, uh, so, the number is? Well, the BCDM is an even 20. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that uh, 0. Right. 0.05 plays a significant role, which was quite surprising yeah, to me. Right. Well, it's one twentieth, isn't it? Well, I mean, but that, yeah. What I'm not going to get into an argument because I don't even know what you just said. But go ahead. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I'm thinking that that's not a particularly impressive number, twenty-one or twenty, rather. Well, well, it depends on your perspective, really. Uh, it, it, it's better than most of the warrior poet sagas. Well, that doesn't impress me. So, do you think a BCDM of twenty is better or worse than something like Gretter Saga? Gretter Saga? Yeah. Um. At a, at a guess, I'd say slightly worse, probably only slightly. You know what? It is just very slightly worse. Uh, Gretter Saga came in at 21.17, I think. Uh, ah. So it's very, very close. So all the page count, the the word count, it, uh, you know, it counts, mm-hmm. as they say. Mm-hmm. Right. Nope. All right. We're definitely finding that there's a sweet spot somewhere around 20 for a lot of the sagas. There really is. Yeah. If you scroll through our uh, body count section, I think you're going to see a lot of things right mm-hmm. between 17 and 22. Yep. Unless you got a woman killing a whole group of men out of a, running out of a cabin. So. Right. Right. You do get the occasional outlier. <laughs> uh, so that ends another fascinating segment of body count. Yeah. Fascinating. Nicknames. Hey, everybody. It's time for Nicknames with Johnny Sexton. It's time to learn the stories behind the names of the sagas. 
John, what do you got for us this week? Well, this saga is about typical for its length, with close to 20 nicknames recorded. Now, as always, some of those fall into the usual array of simple descriptive names. Bercy the Wise, Helgi the Lean, Red Ale, that sort of thing. Uh, and there are also a couple we've seen before and already covered, like Kettle Thrym, who we met in Thorstein the White Saga. Uh, some of the others, though, are just good fun. I want to start with the strange phenomenon of bird names in this saga. We talked yeah. a bit about Thorkel Crane and his hydrophobia last time. Uh, and I haven't got much to add except the possible irony of a water bird nickname for a man who can't swim. But we've also got two Norwegians named Sigurd Cormorant and Thord Cormorant. Or Skorver. Poor Thord. Yeah. Now, Thord is the unfortunate fellow we mentioned earlier who winds up with a spear through his bathing suit area. <laughs> they both take Helgi Asbjarnason's side in the battle with the Droplagrasons, and they're both injured. But as far as I can tell, that's where their connection ends. There's no apparent link between the two of them, which is driving me crazy, because their name is so evocative. A cormorant is a fish-eating bird, right? In Peru, Japan, China, and Egypt, there are actually traditional fishing methods in which fishermen use semi-trained cormorants to catch fish. Oh, is this now, where they put both the, the ring around their Thord neck? Are no... Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they can't swallow large fish. Yeah. And they have to bring them back to the fishermen to get them out of their throat. Right. Uh, so Sigurd and Thord are both Norwegian. In medieval Norway, the cormorant was an omen of good luck to seafarers. Oh. It was believed that the souls of lost sailors could visit their families in the form of cormorants. So there's something going on with this nickname. But whether it was a lucky name for a Norwegian sailor, or whether it indicates something more spiritual or supernatural, I can't quite say. Uh, but it's very interesting to me nonetheless. Hmm. But moving on to the ones I can say something more definitive about. <clears throat> Porridge Atli. This is a nice nickname. Uh, Grautur means groat porridge or rough porridge. A kind of uh, ready-to-eat meal popular with uh, poorer Scandinavian farmers. In in many households, the grautur would be on a nearly constant boil in a kettle during the summer months. It's an easy meal for people who are working all day. You can kind of just stop by, grab a bowl full, and then go back to work. Uh, it's a peasant food, which suggests that Otley either isn't well off or that he prefers a simple working man's diet. But on the other hand, I did find a definition suggesting that grautur might refer to a porridge dressed up with melted butter which would put Otley into a different category, a category with someone like Thorger Butterring from Rekdala Saga, right? mm. a person known for their kind of ostentatious inclusion of butter, relatively expensive uh, property in their breakfast food. Hmm. I miss uh, Butterring. You do, don't you? And I think of him, I think of him quite uh, often, to be honest with you. Anytime I see a pat of butter. Well, <laughs> <laughs> right. You can't, you can't beat his name. Uh, I can't believe it's not Thorgir. Uh, <laughs> now, Thorgrim Dungbeetle is next. Uh, I read up on this one a little, but I know you said that you wanted to talk about this one, so yeah. I'm going to turn it over to you. Ooh. Andy, what do you got? Why, thank you, John. It's nice to finally be a part of this section. I'll be the judge of that. All right. So I spent a good couple of hours, way too many hours when I was supposed to be doing something else back in May, <laughs> playing with our friend Thorgrim Dungbeetle. Um, and now, we weren't reading this saga yet, but I was doing some kind of genealogy stuff for whatever we were doing at the time. And then the name mm -hmm. Dungbeetle caught my eye. Yeah, the Icelandic is Thordufel or Tadufel, 
Uh, this is the name used for the Nordic dung beetle, which is different from the dung mm. beetle that we think of as pushing balls of poop around. Now, I had a, <laughs> a nice back and forth on Facebook about this with uh, Harold Bertling, a real-life Norwegian who helped me tease out the finer details. <laughs> Not a Norwegian companion. No. Well, I mean, he in this case, he is my Norwegian companion, so I... If he's listening, fair point. He should duck, duck, Harold. <laughs> anyway, uh, we we kind of got it teased out together the finer details on Tordeville, kind of going over the uh, the the etymology and the entomology mm-hmm. online. Now you can find that post by searching out Saga Thing podcast and dung beetle, and you might be surprised to find that it's the first thing that appears. That is not surprising. No? Hmm. Well, the etymology, <laughs> the etymology, not entomology is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Ah, although it could be both. Because some people, I found, and this surprised me, but Harold was aware of this, uh, want to connect the first part of the word Tor, they read it as Tor, uh, with the Norse god Thor. Now, hmm. Harold suggested that this might be because of the buzzing sound that they make when flying, uh, but I wasn't buying it. Okay. So I, I consulted Jacob Grimm's Teutonic Mythology, and then also a discussion of the subject by Asger Magnusson in a 1959 copy of Islensk Tunga. Both mm-hmm. of them reject the connection to mythology as nonsense and kind of deformations are under of the understanding. Now, well, that leaves us with the good old dung beetle. Tord mm-hmm. is basically turd or excrement, and uvel is a form of the verb vefa to weave. So it's literally mm. something like dung weaver which is appropriate given the fact that the Tordeville <laughs> lives in the dung of large animals. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think it takes a genius to discover what this nickname might suggest about the short-lived Thorgrim in our saga. Harold Bertling mm-hmm. uh, put it succinctly, I think, when he said, calling someone Tordeville may have been a not-so-subtle snub. <laughs> yeah, I th- so I think... Frankly, I'd be more surprised if it were meant to be anything else. Right. So it's a nickname that speaks to Thorgrim's quality, likely, I, I think, as a nod to let the reader know what kind of guy we're dealing with. Now, mm-hmm. I see no reason to assume or create a background story for how Thorgrim earned the nickname. It's probably just a simple literary device and no more. Now, that doesn't mean, of mm-hmm. course, that the name Dung Beetle was never used in medieval or even modern Iceland or even here in the States. Uh, but that's it. <laughs> and I'm spent. No, uh-huh. I know I didn't say much more than Thorgrim is named after a dung beetle there, if you really think about it. But uh, I tried to do it in the most John-like way I could possibly muster. <laughs> well, you did a lovely job. Thank you. And I'm assuming now that the uh, now that you've been bitten by the radioactive dung beetle, that you'll be uh, a super nicknamer from here on forward. Oh, yes. I'll be able to take a break during this section. Or I'll be weaving dung like nobody's business. Hey, well. <laughs> Watch where you step, people. <laughs> Not, not very different from your usual slinging of feces. <laughs> no, it's just verbal uh, feces that I'm, I'm good so, with. So, now, interestingly, my next one is Thorarin Moldgrub. Mm. It's it's unusual to have one bug-based nickname in the saga, and I think it takes a special saga to have two. And it takes Droplagersona saga to have two of them um, with the kind of connection that I'm going to make here. Now, when he's not distributing pants to his neighbors in need... <laughs> Thorarin's walking around with the nickname Moldoxy, uh, which is, the translation gives us mold grub, but mold, uh, to be clear, meaning earth, not rock. Mm-hmm. Right, so earth grub is probably a clearer translation. Uh, Zuega, interestingly, just offers ox for oxy, but gives mold grub for moldoxy. Uh, and it's not clear to me why that would work that way. 
Uh, now, in Danish, however, so Icelandic doesn't tell us any more than that, but in Danish, the muldox can be any of several grubs living in the earth. And unfortunately, none of this tells us why Thorarin is called earth grub. I don't have a full answer for that, but I can offer this. At least one modern Swedish translator renders moldoxy as dingbag or dung beetle. No way. So this may be a weird bit of recursive naming in this saga, with two figures being given variants on the same name. I don't like it. <laughs> what can I tell you? Take it up with the Swedish translator. I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so our next one is uh, Tova Hilsson, or Hithrasor. Uh, Tova's name is technically more like Sun on the Slope, which uh, gives it a bit of the sound of a place name based on perception, like Sunnyside yeah. or Sunnydale. Rolls right off the tongue, uh, Sun on the Slope. Yeah. Uh, now, this is the only time her nickname shows up in the sagas, and so it's hard to make much of what it was meant to say about Tova. I couldn't find much of interest about the name, but I did find a discussion group uh, agreeing that it's a terrible thing to call your child, but a great name for a daycare center. Oh, that is good. Uh, so I guess there's that. Uh, so we just need to now move to a Nordic country and open a daycare center called Hudasol. Let's do it. Yep. Uh, now, okay, this next one I'm really pleased about. Thorgrim Skincap, the jilted ex-husband of the Droplagerson's cousin Ronvig. Mainly because his story is just so funny. Well, there is that, but I'm going, to tell, I'm going to explain to you just why this nickname makes it funnier. Thorgrim's name is, in fact, Skinhofer. Our translator, and most translators, render that as skin cap. But that's not the whole story. Zwega notes that the name can mean garments, hose, or cap made of skin. Now, Andy, you might remember that before she left Thorgrim's house, Ronvig pitched his clothes in the cesspit, forcing Thorgrim to streak to his neighbor's house covered only in a bedsheet. Streak is a good choice of words there. Yes, and I think this name actually means something more like Thorgrim skin garment or birthday suit. Hmm. And that it indicates that his neighbor Thorarin couldn't resist retelling the story of Thorgrim's unorthodox visit to his door. Yeah. <laughs> and that he ends up with a nickname based on this event. So yeah, so Cap doesn't work really. Right. So that so does it, the nickname actually means sort of bear skin. Or skin, scoot, skin suit. Skin suit, right. Birthday suit. I like it. Um, now we've got Thorkel Gloomy Poet. Wait, can I, can I just ask about... Yep. Typically, I would think if you said skin cap, I would assume that we're talking about someone who's bald. Right. Although you could also... The inference could also be that he's wearing a... Um, a leather uh, cap. A hood made of... Right, made of hide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but either way, yeah, yeah, cap seems to be only one of the possible interpretations. What are some of the? I don't want to prolong this too too much, but out of curiosity, do you have? Do you remember other names for bald guys that we've run across? Uh, well, skull, right? Skullagrim uh-huh. um, is one example. Uh, so we've definitely had that. I feel one. like we've hit a couple like recently, but I just don't remember them because I don't usually mm-hmm. listen that closely. <laughs> well, we also we speculated at one point that the name Turtle Shell. Uh, Orm turtle shell might be a reference to uh, a bald top. Yeah, I didn't like that one either. But okay. Uh, so yeah, we've got, we've had a few over the time, but uh, I don't think this guy's bald. I think uh, I think it's a reference to his his little his little inadvertent streak across the countryside. <laughs> That's why they call him the streak. Uh, now Thorkel gloomy poet. Uh, Thorkel's name is fairly straightforward, but it's a great name nonetheless. Uh, the name is actually Svartaskald 
which means black poet or dark poet. And he's actually not the only poet with this nickname. There's a, there's a more famous poet of the 13th century, Olaf Svartaskald Legsen. Oh, who yes. Who's the court poet of the Norwegian king, Hakon Hakonarsson. Yes. Everyone knows him. Yeah, yeah, I figured you'd remember this guy. Uh, he was suspected of taking part in the assassination of Snorri Sturluson's son, John Snorris. Terrible. There you go. Now, Olaf's nickname was a comparative. He's called Black Poet to differentiate him from another poet, Olaf White Poet. <laughs> but Thorkel in this saga isn't being compared to anyone. So his name might be a simple physical descriptor of a man with notably dark hair or skin. But our translator is gone with using the name as a comment on Thorkel's affect, right? Dark-mooded poet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the physical description makes at least as much sense, and again, is the one that is sort of attested somewhere else. And lastly, Gefjun the Skilled in Magic. That's a descriptive nickname if ever I heard one. It really is. Uh, Gefjun was the shadowy false healer whose poisons killed Grimdrop Lagerson at the end of the saga. Her name, Fjolkung, uh, means versed in magical art or broken down to its components something like much knowing in magic uh zwega does give skilled in magic as an idiomatic translation but the broader much knowing seems to suggest more of gefion's role culturally i think she seems to fall into the same cultural space as that midwife apothecary type that so often overlaps with witchery in later medieval literature mm-hmm uh, she certainly ends up representing an archetype, right? A woman whose knowledge of medicine and potions puts her into a powerful and uncomfortable position from the perspective of men. Uh, and her name is a marker of that role. Hmm. Uh, so that's what we got, Andy. What do you think? Well, I think from my perspective, I, I like the sound of Tolva Sun on the Slope. Lovely, mm-hmm. lovely image. Um, but... Probably not worth opening a daycare center just to use it, though. No. Um, I have three three people that I want I want to consider here. Thorgrim Dung Beetle. Mm-hmm. Thorarin Moldgrub. Mm-hmm. And what's uh, Skincap's first name? Uh, Thorgrim. Thorgrim. Oh, we got two Thorgrims. And Thorgrim mm-hmm. Skincap. Now, going into yep. this, I would have said that Thorgrim Dung Beetle should be the guy. <laughs> but in reality, it's just a, you know... Like I said, a literary device to mark out someone who's not really a honorable fellow. Right. Right. He's the lowest of the low. That's right. I like the nickname. I like the chat that I had with Harold and all that stuff. Um, the stuff you, you came up with with Skin Cap, I'm really liking. Yeah. I think I think we have to shift his nickname to something like Birthday Suit. Yeah. Uh, but I love that nickname once I realized what it referred to. Uh, so is that it? Are we are, are we awarding it to Thorgrim birthday suit? Well, I like the name skin suit a little bit better just because I, I like the alliteration. Skin suit? All right. I think it, it, uh, Very good. it fits better with what the, what you're Very suggesting. Good. Though birthday suit is pretty yep. funny. Uh, and yes, 100% we are giving it to Thorgrim skin suit. Uh, Thorgrim, uh, try to accept the award with only one hand. Keep the other one on that bed sheet for us. Thank you. <laughs> Notable, Notable witticisms. witticisms. So Notable Witticisms is our chance to uh, appreciate the saga maker's art. And for the first and last time in our odyssey, we've got the author himself to give the award to. I mean, not the actual author. He died seven centuries ago. But we can offer the award in memoriam to Thorvald Ingildsen. And I think we both agreed that Thorvald has produced a nicely written saga for us. I'm not judging yet. Well, the question is, how witty is he? Andy, what do we got? Well, 
my first one fits in nicely with my contribution to nicknames. So, limited? <laughs> you're, so, you're so funny, I forgot to laugh. <laughs> no. <laughs> when uh, Grim and Helgi get up early one morning, they're stopped by Aunt Groa, who asks mm-hmm. where they're headed. They tell her that they're going to hunt Tarmigan. Mm. In reality, however, they're hunting Thorgrim Dungbeetle, the man who slandered their mother. Mm. And when Less they return... Delicious. Yes. When they return to Avendara, uh, Groa asks them what they managed to catch on their day out. Mm-hmm. Helgi says, We've caught one dung beetle. Now, <laughs> that's, that's a little witticism, but mm-hmm. a fun one, and I like it. They didn't yep. catch any ptarmigan, but the lowly dung beetle makes for a much better catch <laughs> for the drop loggersons that day. Yeah, that one's cute. Now, my first candidate is a broader bit of comedy. Uh, this is the moment when Thorgrim's skin cap, or Thorgrim's skin suit, as we've now decided to call him, mm. is forced to run to his neighbor's house to rest only in a bedsheet. And his neighbor, Thorarin Moldgrub, finds a nearly naked friend at his door and says, Why do you come here so early, Thorgrim, and rather thinly dressed? And Thorgrim asks for help in the matter of his wife having divorced him, and Thorarin quite reasonably responds, I want to give you some clothes first, because... That's what you're most in need of at the moment. <laughs> it's a good line. I agree. I There's like a it. lot of tragedy to come from this point in the saga, but that's a nice little comic interlude. Yeah. Well, I've got another good one, although I don't think it'll win. Uh, so why bother mentioning it? Because it's good. That's <laughs> a why. fine question. It's just after Helgi Droplogerson forces his way up the spear mm. in an attempt to get through Olzer, who's protecting Helgi Esbjarnason. And as I said in Best Bloodshed, Ozor senses Helgi about to strike, so he pushes the spear back and then knocks Helgi to the ground. And when Helgi realizes what's happened, he says, Now I delayed, while you, on the other hand, hurried. That's a lot of H sounds for a guy with no lower lip. <sighs> no, the H's are... are, are you know. <laughs> yes, but I think it would still come out as... <laughs> well, anyway. Helgi then staggers away into the snow and dies. The whole scene resonates with me. Mm. Um, and, and this final unironic and beautifully literal line caps the whole thing off beautifully. Again, probably not a winner, but a worthy candidate. Something good to say when you're done. All right. All right. Uh, now, this le- next one is just a little moment. When Grimdrop Laugerson plans to sneak across the land to Asbjarnison's house to avenge his brother's death, his in-law, Joran Einar's daughter, uh, asks him where he's going. Grimm invents a farmer who owes him a debt, and experience has shown that he does not want to pay. Uh, Joran offers to pay the money so that Grimm wants to travel abroad when his enemies are on the lookout for him. And Grimm replies, but then he won't pay. Mm. It's an understated moment of determination crouched in a clever bit of double meaning. It's just the sort of thing I look for in the sagas. Good stuff. uh, Do you have any more? Oh, just one little tidbit of a witticism. Mm-hmm. We already went over uh, Helgi Droplogerson's facial reconstruction during the battle ah. in Best Bloodshed. And after the sword hit his face, cutting into his teeth and removing his lower lip, Helgi says, I was never beautiful. I had to do the uh, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I was never beautiful, but you made little improvement. And then he tucks his beard into his mouth and carries on with the fight. That's right. Now, if you're out there looking for a good example 
of what saga wit and understatement is, this mm. is about as good as you'll get. I mean, right. you can't beat it, <laughs> at least not in this saga. And if you vote for something yeah. else, then I think you're a fool. No, I well, that's uh, that's certainly that's certainly throwing down the gauntlet. Let's see what you do. Uh, no, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, I think this is a clear winner. Uh, I feel mm-hmm. a little bit bad that we're giving all the awards this one little moment in the saga, but it's a uh, it's a, a moment that sticks with you. Yeah, it's a, it's a great moment. And if you're not going to read uh, drop loggers on the saga, then just find this one battle and read that. Right, but please read the whole saga. You should uh, read the whole saga. Congratulations, Helgi. Great job. Oh, Lori. All right. So, um, Andy, I know this is one of your, always one of your favorite judgments. Uh, Outlawry is when we choose a nefarious figure from the saga and punish him or her for their crimes. But this time out, we're going to have a bit of an argument on our hands, I imagine. Uh, by my count, there are at least three or four potential candidates, but I what? want to hear what you think first. Well, here's what I think, because I'm really conflicted. We mm-hmm. have an outlawry section, and it is designed yes. to identify the truly villainous outlaws that are worthy of exile. Um, yeah. But here's the thing. The way that Droplogus on the saga is written, no one, in my opinion, emerges as a clear villain or bad guy or someone who deserves outlawry. Really? Yeah. I mean, like, there are some people that do some shady things, let's say. Shady well, to, off the top of my head, Helgi Droplogerson is involved in the killing of his stepfather. But not really, because mm-hmm. a servant did that. He avenges his stepfather um, by killing the servant. Um, that servant was put up to killing Halstein by, by whom? And can you prove it? And Helgi. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, Grim Droplogerson. Uh. Also some shady dealings when he sneaks into a house sure. under cover of darkness and stabs a man to death. I feel Where like there's an extenuating circumstance there in that he uh, he's acting on revenge. Ah, Helgi, but Helgi and Droplog, when they kill Halstein, it appears to be for no reason other than that Helgi doesn't like him and Droplog seems to be tired of him. <laughs> right. Well, there's let me no ask you this real him. quick before we dismiss uh, yeah. you know, Grimm. Sure. When a man kills another man in the Icelandic mm-hmm. sagas under cover mm-hmm. of darkness mm-hmm. and then doesn't report what he's done to others. Mm-hmm. Is that a slaying or is it murder? Oh, that's a murder. Oh, Absolutely. it is. Okay. That's all. Yeah. I just wanted to make that clear. Uh, what uh, about, it's a uh, murder that parallels in every particular the murder committed by Gisli Sersen, who not only did we not outlaw, but uh, you chose as Thingman. What a great guy. He's a hero. <laughs> Extenuating circumstances there, I'd say. There you go. There you go. So and I will also extend that same courtesy to my good friend Grim Drop Lockerson. There you go. Um, so I'm oh, not we've still got a him. couple of others. Well, who? Uh, well, there is Thorgrim Dungbeetle. Send him away. <laughs> that son of a bitch. Uh, and there's also Gefion the Skilled in Magic. Ooh. Well, okay, but there's a problem there. I know there is. You're bringing up someone who's in Norway. I'm that's totally right. down because we have a Viking in that's Norway right. that's horrible. Yes, but we can't do and that. I would, yeah. But I wanted to bring so you, her up because I was no. afraid that otherwise people would be screaming at their podcast. Yeah. As if anyone cares as much as we do about these things. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> Most people would be upset with us point. for not considering Gefion. But um, yeah. I, I just want to remind everybody that the rules are 
that they must commit crimes in Iceland to be exiled from Iceland. And exactly. Gefjun is a Norwegian who, as far as we know, never even visits Iceland. I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm willing to make an exception in this saga because I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Well, what what about um? Were you talking about the death of of Halstein earlier? Mm-hmm. I recall three people being at that meeting. That's right. We had a servant who oh. I think we can excuse because he was very likely forced to do what yep. he was doing. Uh, yep. But who's the mastermind? One wonders. Oh, drop lock. Yeah, and who Absolutely. leaves as soon as the 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 deed is done? Drop mm-hmm. log. Drop log escapes with her young son. She does indeed. Hmm. So Guilty. I think we have I think we have a fair choice there. Uh but it, but I believe it was you who said, "Can we prove it?" Uh suspicious to say the least. It is suspicious. Uh, and conveniently she's already exiled herself, which would make things easier for us. <laughs> it would. Uh, so I, personally I think it comes down to uh Droplog, Dung Beetle or Helgi Droplogerson. Yeah, I'm not keen to outlaw Helgi for s- several reasons. Okay. Chief, I of- suspect one of them being that you're hoping that he'll be available for Thingman, but I'm not. I'm. Uh, I'm. Hey, who says enough. I'm on Helgi Jablogerson's side? But um, I do. I I would like to make the argument that in this particular saga, no yeah. one emerges as bad enough to exile. So. Would it well, be, remember that we do have the be, option of minor outlawry. Minor outlawry. We've used it before. <sighs> I I guess I would settle my. I my, would accept minor outlawry for Droplaug, Helgi, or Thorgrim Dungbeetle. Hey, you know what? I feel like Droplaug is suspicious and she's a little <laughs> sneaky. I don't know a whole lot about her, mm-hmm. but there's something that just doesn't feel right about that girl. Uh, let's well, let's send yep. her away. Yep. I mean, because Dung Beetle she, already got a spear through the stomach. She offs her. She offs her own husband, and then escapes Iceland without anyone ever bringing a charge against her. Yeah, and no. Uh, what happened to here, Thorvald? She cannot escape the judgment of our court. That's correct. Which leads us to Thingman, doesn't it? It does. With Grim and Helgi still on the table. Yes. Mm. Yes. You. You've gotten what you wanted. <laughs> Or, or will I? Big man. All right. It is the time that gives me most stress. It is time <laughs> to choose Thingman. And John very, maybe, wisely, chose to defer last time. Which means he's picking first this time. Which yes, gives, does. that is the source of my stress, people. Because John very often, I think he's going to do one thing and then he does another thing. Yep. No, I think you know what I'm doing this time. And then it disappoints me mm-hmm. and frustrates me. So, John. Yes. I don't want to beat around the bush and wait any longer. Fair enough. Give us your your Thingman choices and then choose one, will you? Uh, well, I think there's a case to be made for three people in this saga. I have three as but well. Really, there's only one choice that makes sense. Hmm. I'm taking Thorvald Grimson, the kid who farted his defiance at the Norwegian Neftoffel player. Excellent. Okay, that's recorded. No. And it's... Obviously, that's not right. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to edit all of this so that yes, all yes. you get, all the people uh, here, is that you took the farter. <laughs> Thank Thorvald you. the farter. Thank you for send, uh, saying that. No. There, there are three real options in this saga. Um, Helgi and Grim Drop Lagerson and Helgi Esbjarnason. Yes. 
Uh, now, of those, uh, I thought about throwing you a curveball and picking Thorvald Ingildsen, our author. Oh, that's kind of uh, lame. I felt that was a bit cutesy. Yeah. Uh, so I decided against it. And laughable. Uh, right. Now, so, of the three options, I think only one man in this saga really lives up to the standards I expect of my Thingman. Oh, this is this is sounding good. Helgi as Bjarnason is just not Thingman material in my mind. Yeah. He's a weird combination of aggressive and ineffective. And even though I do see his side of things, I'm ultimately on the side of the Drop Lagersons as a reader. Yeah. Now, that may be because the Drop Lagersons uh, are the ancestors of our author, and so the text is biased. I agree. Uh, but all I have is the text. Now, about those ancestors, Helgi Drop Laugerson, even if I accepted that he's fully justified in his campaign to, to annoy Asbjarnason, which I'm not convinced of, by the way, he does conspire to murder his own stepfather, a man whose only sin, as far as we know, is that Helgi and Droplaug decide they don't like him. And we just outlawed Droplaug for this exact thing, but Helgi is the one who then murders the murderer, thus covering their tracks. Eh, vengeance, but whatever. It's, it's pretty shameless stuff. Uh, on the other hand, his brother Grimdrop Lagerson is quiet in the early going, but in the second half, he turns out to be the most admirable figure of the saga. Yes, he resorts to some conniving tactics uh, and to murder to take revenge for his brother. Mm-hmm. But having lost most of his friends and allies in the battle uh, some years previously, I don't know that he had another choice. And the, you know, the, the drive to avenge a brother is paramount. Uh, he's a man of great spirit, a strong and silent type who's a skilled farmer, a strong warrior, a man slow to anger, but a merciless fl- foe once his ire is raised. And he's not too proud to laugh at a boy breaking wind in a Norwegian's face. <laughs> I'm delighted to have the best of the Droplagersons as my pick. Grim, you're welcome to pull up a Hneftafel board and a plate of beans in my hall anytime. Whew. <laughs> I am so very, very glad that you yep. chose Grim. And mm-hmm. I like Grim. He's an interesting mm-hmm. guy. He's also probably a work of fiction, but that's neither here nor there. Irrelevant for our purposes. Irrelevant. Uh, I only ever wanted Helgi Droplagerson. And I didn't even bother. This is why I was kind of stressed. <laughs> I didn't bother preparing anything for any other person yeah. here. So if yeah. you had picked Helgi D, I would be in very bad shape as I usually mm-hmm. am here. I think it was fairly obvious what you were going to do based on your shameless defense of him during the outlaw section. But no, come now. I could have been defending Grimm. Who knows? No, but I mean, honestly, Grimm's a good choice. He's an admirable and capable character, and I think you're improving your group by adding him. But there was never a chance that I'd not select Helgi if you allowed me. Of course. He's a he's a crap-disturbing pain in the butt. I don't know. <laughs> Look, I went in, I don't know what you'd see in him. I went into the saga knowing very little about the guy. And mm-hmm. as the saga progresses, I'm reading, yep. and he accomplishes this, and he accomplishes that, and achieves more and more. I, I like him. And then he gets into that battle, and... What a heroic end for Helgi <laughs> Droplagerson. He's able, despite not having the connections and influence of a Helgi S. Bjarnason, to assert his will on the region both in court and with his sword when necessary. His actions and his, his many victories throughout the first part of the saga reveal a worthy and capable man. There's a lot to like about Helgi Droplagerson. Now, you kind of talked a little bit about what he does, so I'm not going to dwell on them, and everyone knows already. It's clear, though, 
that Helgi is a hard as nails kind of guy and I trust from his death scene that he'll give me everything he has. And let me add, uh -huh. John, let me add that Helgi's oh, reputation Helgi's reputation outside of this saga is equally is good, shameful. if not better. Whereas Grimm is an excellent and clever murderer, and as well as a prolific digger of holes, oh. Helgi is well known for his legal prowess, usually besting the best and strongest mm -hmm. in court. I'm going to point out once more that this murder you keep claiming for Grimm is the exact same murder that your thingman, Gisli Sersen, performed. No, I'm not. I don't remember that. On the field of oh. battle, I'm talking about Helgi now. <laughs> uh. On the field of battle, he's one of the more impressive and bold heroes that we've ever seen. He's so good, in fact, that the author of Erbija Saga includes Helgi Droplogerson mm -hmm. in a list of the top three best fighters in Iceland. And he's True. not number three, John. If his efforts... Well, in yours... <laughs> Uh, I, I told you I put a little effort in. <laughs> yeah. If his efforts in his own saga aren't enough to suggest that he would make an excellent Thingman, then we'll eventually see the quality of his character in sharp relief when we get to the saga of the people of Fljotsdal. There he emerges as a true champion oh. who is prepared not only to be a Thingman, but to lead others. And because of I... that, I'm very pleased to welcome the great Helgi Droplogerson, <laughs> the best of the Droplogersons, to the ranks of Andy's Thingman, I appreciate your uh, uncharacteristic <laughs> depth of research on this one. I actually had time uh, to prepare today, so it was, but <laughs> it's quite a difference. Um, and the fact is, I don't think Helgi's a bad choice, uh, but I think given what we know of him in this saga, which mm -hmm. is what we're judging him by. He's pretty awesome. Um, he is a stepfather murdering malcontent who causes trouble because it amuses him. You, you, uh, you, you. I think he's a fine choice you shame him for what he did for his mother uh, yes he is but a boy serving grim grim did not murder a stepfather to please his mother because grim knows his own mind do you know why because he was too busy growing wheat and tending the cattle all right all right but helgi's a doer we can carry on with this for a while the end result is we're both pleased with the drop loggers and we ended up with very well pleased very very well pleased uh, very good. Thank you for not making me angry tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Give me time. <laughs> Final, Final rating. rating. All right. The time has finally come to pass judgment on this saga. Andy, I went first for Thingman and uh, collected the what I think is the superior drop Lagerson. So I believe you have the honors for this section. What did you think? I'd say we're both happy with our Thingman choices. Uh, so it's a, I'll, I'll call this one a tie if you want. But uh, All right. let's go. I won't, but okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to start by saying I'm a little bit torn on how to rate this one. Yeah. I mean, after finishing it for like the third or fourth time in preparation for these episodes, I came <laughs> to really enjoy it and I contemplated giving it a score as high as seven. Now, I think if you listen back over the as two As high as seven. That's what I just said. I'm okay. glad your ears work. Okay. <laughs> Carry on. I think if you listen back to the two summary episodes, you can hear our growing fondness for the saga. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who picks this saga up for the first time, the let's be honest, the first three or four chapters are a daunting hurdle to get over. The overwhelming number of family relationships to keep track of and the quick pace of the storytelling are entertaining for people like John and I, but, but only because we're interested in exploring <laughs> what those long lists might be communicating to audiences in medieval mm -hmm. Iceland. That admittedly take some patience and some willingness and a little bit of weirdness and you got to delve deeper than most want to go 
But there's something worth paying attention to, so I can't discredit Thorvald Ingildsen too much for the mess he creates there. It's a mess, but a mess with meaning embedded in its layers, I think. Now, if you can make it through those initial chapters, you're rewarded mm-hmm. with a pretty interesting story and a fun one. The first half tells of Helge Droplogerson's rise and the tragic consequences of that rise. And the saga really comes into its own with the Battle of Avenderdal, and mm-hmm. Thorvald Ingildsen, or whoever deserves credit for actually writing the thing, begins to right. flourish. Now, from there, we switch to an equally entertaining revenge and then an outlaw story as we follow Helgi's brother Grimm as he digs holes, he swims, and plays the active hero after mm-hmm. sitting out the first half. And the more I read, the more I kind of like this saga. Mm-hmm. But as I reflect for the final ratings, it's not a seven. That's ridiculous. While it has strong moments, the saga lacks the kind of depth of character development and plotting that would earn a seven or more from me. And it's also not the run-of-the-mill average five, I don't think. It's got enough to earn something like a 5.5 or maybe even a six. I want to give it a little bit of credit because I think it makes a good sample text for learning about saga writing. Hmm. It's perfect, and I spend a bit of time doing this, for exploring the interconnectedness of the sagas. And you and I have been doing this for the past few episodes. Yeah. That experience only becomes richer if you keep going and read on to Fleotstala Saga. The saga is also useful for teachers and students of saga literature, as well as enthusiasts, if you want to invest some time into researching the debates over the dating of the saga. Following the discussions of its composition and its evolution are actually quite rewarding and interesting. But I digress. I'm going to give this yes, one you a, do. I'm going to give this one a very cheerful 6.5. And I'm going to say, well wow. done, Thorvald Ingildsen. Although I suspect you're more of a compiler than an author. And I'm going to cede the remainder of my time to the gentleman from Massachusetts. Go ahead, sir. <laughs> I have to say, I am surprised. Uh, really? Yes, I am. I like I, this I know one. The, what's that? I like this one. I Yes, you did. Yeah. Which is why I'm surprised by your score. Hmm. I know the general scholarly consensus is that this saga is a little bit primitive and clumsy, if we can return to Finlay and Christensen's comments. I think that's reasonable. But I'd expect you to rate it a little more highly. I just felt like a seven suggests something mm-hmm. more in terms of its... Look, yeah, I acknowledge yeah, no. the faults you mentioned. But I think it's important to appreciate just how well our author has done the job he set out to do. This isn't a saga of sweeping scope or international importance. It's a fairly well-contained story about a feud between two brothers and their local chieftain. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the episodes early on with Helge Drup Lagerson taking the mickey out of Helge Esbjarnason in one legal case after another. I enjoyed the moments of comedy with Thorgrim skin suits involuntary streak across the countryside. Yes. Or our author Thorvald telling the story of his grandfather as a small boy knocking over a Hneftoffel board and then farting at the game's players. Oh, man, that is worth another point five. It's, if you it's really only his, it. it's his own grandfather is the thing that makes <laughs> yeah. that so great. The set piece battle is a masterful piece of work. You compared it to the Iliad, Andy. Oh, yeah. The Iliad. Favorably. That is heady praise. Not every saga gets compared to the Iliad. Were that the whole thing were like that? Uh, well, and Grimm's attack on Helgi Esbjarnason is suspenseful, it's nicely plotted, and full of well-done character moments. But like it's also Grimm the same thing that, his, that we saw no, in Gisli's no. saga. But, but we have no way of knowing whether this saga is 
following or leading the way on those plot points. I think it's following, but you go ahead. I don't well, want to take too much. I think they are sibling texts. I actually think they have a, a source that they're both referring to. Okay. But that's fine. Uh, I like the fact that Grimm realizes in the middle of his plan that it, that what he's come up with makes him look bad. When Thorkel Crane says, you know, mm. people are going to think this is a little odd. Yeah, it's good. Uh, and at that point, he switches places with Thorkel Crane to deliver the killing blow himself. This isn't the perfect saga, but it's absolutely a saga worth reading. And it's full of those little turns, those little moments that I enjoy. Uh, it's just the sort of text that I want to see get a lot more attention from readers. For me, this is what saga thing is about. Bringing a saga like this and putting it before people and showing them why it's a saga worth reading. I give this an eight. For an me, it's eight. a very worthwhile read. Absolutely. It's a very worthwhile read. And I recommend it to anyone wanting to get involved more deeply in the sagas. Yes, you have to get through those first three chapters of endless naming. But once you get beyond that, a rewarding saga is going to be your prize. An eight. That's right. I'm shocked. Look, <laughs> I read it multiple times. Mm-hmm. No way is this an eight, buddy. It's a good saga. But if you said seven or even 7.5, I would have been like, yeah, you know, I get it. I could I was tempted. But an eight, that's pretty. You loved it. You're uh, you're splitting some very fine hairs here. If you're willing to consider a 7.5, but not an eight. <laughs> well, that's how I judge things. I'm very accurate. Well, that's exactly what you are. <laughs> that's the word I was reaching for. There you go. All right, everyone, that is a 6.5 from me and a an, uh, shocking 8 from John. I'm Not curious shocking. what everyone else thinks about this. Like I said, this is what this podcast is for, to bring a saga like this to people's attention. Absolutely. It's not bad, regardless of what the score is. This is a really mm-hmm. good saga that is often derided by critics and ignored by saga enthusiasts. Yep. And I say, pick it up. Give it a try. If you can't find a translation, I happen to know that every man put out a translation with oh, Drop yeah. Logos on a saga and Fljotstala saga. That's right. Uh, it's out of print, but I know because I ordered one that uh, used copies are available. Mm-hmm. And with that, we bring the saga of Drop Log's sons to a close. Uh, now, we've mentioned it a few times, but we'll be entering our second quarter court after this, which means it's time to start thinking about crowning the champions of our last 10 sagas. Yes. Now, I will be off to South Carolina soon, where I'll be camping and awaiting the eclipse, but we'll be back Mm. very, very soon to review the best of the best candidates from our judgment sections for the quarter court before this month is over. Probably. Yeah, hopefully the uh, dragon doesn't consume the sun permanently, and we'll all be back soon. Um, I hope so. If you're listening to this in the future and the world's been plunged into perpetual darkness... Uh, what can I say? Make a sacrifice or two and uh, await the regurgitation of the sun. In the meantime, Andy will be updating the past huh? judgment section on our webpage, sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com. Yeah, definitely time to catch up there. I've been yeah, slacking a bit. Uh, well, feel free to look over the various winners there and write in your own candidates. Or send us some questions that you'd like us to answer. We are That's willing right. to tackle nearly anything you throw at us. Yes, uh, and Andy told me off air that he's hoping for some really clever math problems. Don't let him down. I'm quite certain that I said nothing of the sort. Uh, <laughs> please don't do that. But whatever you'd like to say to us, you can get in touch with us as always on Twitter, where we are at Saga Thing Pod, on Facebook, where we're Saga Thing Podcast, or through email, where we are Saga Thing Podcast at gmail.com. 
Or you could carry the one, solve for X, and send us your answers showing all your work. All right. That's a proof. Yeah, you go. I remember doing proofs in math class and thinking, why am I doing this? That's all I thought about it. <laughs> because What's... that's what math is. Yeah, but I mean, I knew the answer, so yeah. why do you guys see, see me solving it? I think we're starting to see the origins of, origins of your problem. <laughs> it could be. Could be. <laughs> the calculator told me it was this. Right. <laughs> why do I have to show you how I got there? Right. Oh, oh you have to show this... the work. It's the new math, Andy. Holistic algebra. Uh, Get on board. Well, interestingly enough, not that we need to digress, but in, in uh, writing class, I often use that as a metaphor. You have to show me the work of how you got to the idea. Right. There you go. There you go. Anyway, this has been fun, everyone. We will see you when the drums sound at the second quarter court. Oh, dear. Until then, thanks for listening. Bye for now. John, what do you got for us this week? Uh, well, this saga is about typical for its length. There's about oh, way to keep the energy up. Names recorded. Sorry, I said way to keep the energy up. Way to keep the energy up. Yeah, because I gave you this like stellar intro, and then you just go, "Well, let me tell you something about nicknames. Nicknames are real interesting." Well, I couldn't hear you. <laughs> I'm doing the best I can, given that I can't actually hear anything you're saying. I don't need. I don't know why you need to hear me. That's a good point. Why well, start paying attention now?